I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Again, another uh, real treat for me at the Toronto International Film Festival this year, 2019. Barbara Koppel uh, and I had a conversation in the business center at one of the hotels. Uh, we couldn't find another spot that was quiet enough, and it actually worked out to be quite the little sound booth for us, so it was perfect. In the moment, Gorilla Sound Booth, there could be a market there, Barbara, I'm not sure. Desert One is her new film, and uh, this was the world premiere. Uh, Barbara is an Oscar-winning filmmaker. She is... Uh, uh, has I mean, I'm going to call her a master uh, documentarian. I hope she I hope she's okay with that. But this is a film uh, about a secret mission to free hostages that were uh, captured uh, during the 1979 Iranian revolution and uh barbara is 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 somebody who listens she's into rich and complex storytelling and 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 this film really uh plays uh, like a bit of a thriller actually i mean a, a fascinating time in history but also just a, a real incredible uh, uh rescue mission as well and and barbara says she gets she gets to that story she gets to the bottom of things by by listening and and the fact that she loves people and that she uh, takes the time to to step in and you know lean in a little closer and 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 listen with with uh, commitment and intention and so uh, we 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 get so many different interviews with so many different people that were a part of this. Uh, the film is animated. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, film, uh, cinema verite at its uh, finest. It seems to me. And um, telling a, a story that on, on one level just seems so uh, kind of surreal now when you look back and, and some of the images and so on and, and, and so tragic at the same time. But what a real treat uh, to, to listen in um, uh, to, to Barbara and to uh, 
enjoy a conversation with this Oscar-winning filmmaker and and and, and share with uh, some of her thoughts and her uh, ideas around filmmaking and storytelling and and so on. And, and again, you know, one of those real real treats for me at the Toronto International Film Festival this year. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my uh, writing and, and public speaking. You can get a copy of uh, my book, Real Changes Incremental, there through Amazon. And Face to Face Live is coming up. Uh, well, Face to Face is coming up. Uh, the, the website is facetofacelive.ca. But uh, Face to Face Live is coming up on uh, six years and a bit and, and over coming up close up on 500 interviews. If you want to support the work we do financially, you can do that through Patreon. I've set up a site there. At one, five, ten, twenty dollars a month, we would appreciate it. Uh, help offset some of the costs. And uh, if you can't do that, please do leave us a review online uh, on iTunes, uh, Spotify, something like that. We would really appreciate it. The more news, the more noise, the better uh, in this digital world. And if you're not interested or can't do that or would like to advertise with Face to Face, you can do that as well. We've got a growing demographic that's global, over 20 countries, hundreds of thousands of downloads. And you can advertise through newsletters. Um, we have a website, banner there, ads there. And you can also get embedded into the interviews themselves. And don't forget rabble.ca as well for more information uh, um, about news for the rest of us and podcasters and thinkers and writers and bloggers who are are uh, rolling up their sleeves and, and diving into issues that matter. Don't uh, go away uh, for... Uh, we've got a fascinating interview coming up with Barbara Koppel and also uh, about a fascinating film called Desert One. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest here uh, today on Face to Face uh, with Barbara Koppel here at the Toronto International Film Festival to talk about her new film, Desert One. We're kind of hanging out in a business center this is a studio on the go uh, Barbara thanks so much for your time today well thank you for having me and it's so nice and quiet in here I know we were we were sort of uh, uh, skulking around looking for a spot that was quiet in the and, in the lobby and we, and we found and one. we found it let's just hope a, a bus uh, load of school kids don't arrive to to do some quick printing or something well if they do we'll punt and we'll figure out what <laughs> to do right. no worries which is exactly what I know about your career you're making it work, punting, guerrilla crews. We were just chatting a little bit about that as we were getting prepped with sound, wearing headphones. You don't do sound anymore. Tell me a little bit about the process. And before you do that, by the way, congratulations on the film. Oh, thank it's, you. It's powerful. It's moving. It's touching in so many ways. And, and I'd love to talk to you about the, the, um, the relevance and the importance of it today, not just as kind of a historical document saying, hey, this is kind of what happened and, and, and what can we learn from our past and our mistakes, hopefully, but how does it actually apply to us today? So yeah, tell me a bit about that uh, small crew and, and about how I think you're going to say it's all about the people. <laughs> um, well, I've been making films for a long time now and at the beginning of uh, we always had just sometimes camera and sound and mm. an assistant camera because we shot 16 millimeter film, right. which doesn't happen anymore. And I did the sound on all my films. Um, I guess I did sound for 17 years wow. before I stopped doing sound. But I loved it because, you know, you're really directly tuned sure, in sure. to who you're talking to and what you're filming and have one headphone on, one pad on sure, and one, sure. off one off and was that a was it a budget thing barbara or was it more just because you wanted to be kind of in control of it all directing and so on both both yeah it's always a budget thing 
It's always a budget thing, especially in documentary film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Much better now, but before people wouldn't even understand why you were making well, documentaries. Well, winning, win, winning a couple Oscars helps uh, from a budgetary perspective, doesn't it? Not not <laughs> totally. No? no? No, you still have to go out there and beg and persuade and hope wow. that somebody will see your vision right. or... Right, somebody has to catch on, right? It's not a probably not going to be a, a business decision to get behind a doc film. There might be some money to be made, but chances are it's more... Uh, uh, social justice, philanthropic kind of a thing, isn't no, it? No, documentaries are actually doing very well now. Oh, okay. Because uh, people, I think, want a sense of truthfulness. Right. And um, so people want to see things that are real. And, I mean, the documentaries have been sold out here. At, so at the festival. Yes. That's and great news. there's so many different places now that want to show documentaries theatrical, television, you know, you name it, a lot of streaming. So it's the golden age of documentary. Oh, that's cool. Thank goodness. Finally, it's here. Yes. And now you don't have to be the the, the sound designer as well at the same time. Well, I like doing sound, but I I stopped after a while. I had a heavy Nagra that had Mm. lots of batteries in it, and you'd put a mixer on it and mics, so... I stopped just because 17 years is long enough to lug it. But it was interesting because when I was doing sound, if something was wonderful, I didn't feel the Nagra at all. Hmm. I could fly. I could go up mountains. I could do anything. And when I wasn't getting good things, then I felt it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty interesting about mm-hmm. uh, about being present and being in the moment, isn't it? That's yes. A, that's a whole other conversation, it seems to me. Um Maybe a silly question after so many years, but why do you make docs? What is it about? It? Are you a truth teller? Are you a storyteller? Is it, is it about pushing back against fake news? Um, is, is it a historical interest on your own part? I'm sure it's a layered answer, but love to know why and why you're still going. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> That's a great <laughs> response. I love it. Uh, I just love people, and I'm very curious about people, and I love people to be able to tell their stories and their voices to be heard and for viewers to be able to go on a journey with these people and also the surprise of never knowing what's going to happen when you're doing a documentary is wonderful for me and I love the challenges too so it's perfect for what I want to do and with my life have you I really love and appreciate the way in, in Desert One you you contextualize it for us in a, through 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 family interviews, President Carter, um, um, but you also give us the context of the Iranian side as well, or, or at least as best you can, I suppose, within within your budgetary framework and all of that. But you have their voices as well. Would you say? Can you talk a little bit about that cross cultural sort of? Um, balance and and as far as truth telling is concerned and and have you become a better listener over over these years as a doc filmmaker uh i think i've always been a listener Uh, listening to me is what's important uh and as far as desert one how could you just tell the american side of the story it's absolutely key and it's rich and it's complex to know every story and every point of view and that would include the Iranian point of view and one of the 
people that we got was very interesting. He was an 11-year-old boy mm. at the time, and his family had rented a bus, and they went on vacation, and they happened to go through the road where you know the Americans had landed with their C-130s and their helicopters getting all ready to, for the mission. And seeing it through his eyes, well, his very yeah. innocent eyes of um, being, you know, af afraid, but also exciting to have this happen. And then after it was over, the one thing he wanted to do was, like any kid was, was to run to his classmates and tell them all about his adventure. Right, right. You you won't believe what I was or what I saw, what I was a part it of. It was it was like the biggest thing that ever happened in his life. Which was which is so beautiful because that's pretty much what any kid anywhere in the world would We all do, would do that. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'd all be just yes. yeah, couldn't couldn't wait And to we get had started. an Iranian crew, two beautiful women who are actually came all the way from Iran to TIFF to see the film and we're on stage wow, and amazing. doing part of the Q&A and they're here today for the screening as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. What, um, are you surprised as you tell these stories? D d does the surprise for you happen in the editing room or, I mean, this has kind of got to have a spy-like feel to it. It certainly has that feel as, as I'm watching the film as you sort of peel back the layers were there things about this story that you didn't know that you kind of found out as you got deeper in? I did not know most of this. Oh, wow. So uh, I didn't know until, I mean, I knew what happened. Sure, But of course, I didn't yeah. know sort of the reflections of the people, of what their jobs were or how they were feeling or how they interpreted this and seeing these very strong men break down in tears thinking about, you know, one of the heaviest things that ever happened in their lives and losing, you know, eight people due to Murphy's Law. Ba basically, yeah, just a complete... Where anything that could have gone wrong went wrong right pretty much right from the get-go i was i was pretty stunned by the fact that they had no uh, one of the i think one of the military uh, commanders or foreign correspondents said something about no no full rehearsal uh yeah one through. of one of the delta force people said that um uh roberts he said yeah there was no rehearsal do you do you hope? Hmm. I mean, it's a silly question again. In a sense, I mean, uh, do you go into a film like this? I mean, my listeners will know I'm about social change and 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 moving the needle a little bit, getting people to see the world in a new way. And I love your film because it's obviously about this hostage crisis before the big Iranian hostage crisis and the Argo-like crisis back in the in the uh, in. Uh, no, it was, was the same. Was it right around the it same was, time? It was all the same. It was all... The Argo, the Argo one was um, six or eight people that escaped. Right, and got it. And the Canadian um, prime minister, you know, yeah, took yeah. care of them and fed them. And then, you know, the CIA came in and they concocted this oh, film to take them out. Right. Meanwhile, the other 52... Got it. ...were hostages for 444 days. Right. So this It was all, the number that was, threw me off, the 52 of them. It yeah. all happened at the same time. Oh, wow. Okay. What? A, and it just, again, and it, and it shows you the complexity of these types of things, the, the interna international relationships, the political 
implications and, and the conversations that are going on at the time and 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 uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty profound to me. Do you well, go? I yeah, look go. at it as a thriller. Yes. As yeah. How I wanted the audience to be able to see it because it's a little small thing in history that I think has been buried for a mm. long time. And so I didn't want anyone to know really what happened and I wanted it to be linear and I wanted you to go along with it and be on the edge of your seat as to what would happen to the 52 hostages as to whether these guys would be able to do the rescue mission and that was how I wanted to structure it and did. Do you do you sense and I think this is where I was going earlier the when you go into a film like this and you've made many are you hoping for some kind of a change? Are you hoping for the question, like certain questions for people to ask when they leave the theater as they reflect further on it as they, I mean, I know for myself, I see a great doc and sometimes just a great film. I go, I need to learn more about this. This is, this is one of those subjects I haven't heard about before. And wow, it's one of those classics if, if, we, if only we knew. I think that um, I loved the fact of letting people know and letting them feel maybe when they left the theater the bravery and the camaraderie of the military. And also, too, it was a real deep dive into mm. uh, President Jimmy Carter. And to me, what an incredible human being he is, that he cared more for getting the hostages out than he did for his political career. And he tried to, you know, be very diplomatic and and to do something where they wouldn't have to go in and do this mission but uh those are the kinds of things that i really loved like how these people survived how they feel about saving each other how the men had each other's back and um also that the feeling of hope that they could do something it's really quite remarkable access that you get to, to so many different people on sort of, I hate to say both sides, but on all, let's say on all sides of this equation or this coin. Um, um, doesn't President Carter say something to the effect of this was uh, so much more personal for him than, than political? And I, and I think the question I have for you is, is there a way to tell, and I, I'm going to make the connection to present day, is there a way to tell when a leader is making a call or a judgment or a decision based on um, relationship over, say, a political uh, 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 decision that's made from hubris and pride and ego? Does that does that make sense? Like, because I I, re I read a report, um, a, a review, a good review uh, of the film, and might have been the Hollywood Reporter. I'm not sure, but the the writer made a link between then and now and said if this hadn't happened this way this incremental bit of business in, in back in the 70s and 80s, we wouldn't have Donald Trump today in office. And I thought that, and he even admitted in the article that this was a bit of a leap, but at the same time, isn't it fascinating when you look back? Uh, yeah, I think it's very fascinating, but I think that it's very hard to determine what would happen and who would be in power and why. I mean, you also have to look at many other veritables like, you know, unemployment of so many different political areas that I can't say that if this is succeeded that we wouldn't have gotten Reagan. Right, right. And that was sort of the 
the comment. I don't know if you've read this review or not, but that was sort of the other major the, the other major point. It does raise some pretty interesting questions about what's done behind the scenes, and and right. Right, but I guess the films that I try to do are more stories mm. about people. Mm. Um, rather than, you know, getting into if this hadn't happened, then this right, might happen. Right, and right, it's, right. it's their story. It's their telling of history. It's their remembrances of what they felt, what they went through, yeah. and what they've taken with them all these years. I mean, one of the characters in the film has never even told his family about what he went through. And the way that they saw it was they came to Toronto and... This was the first time, and the wow, son came up to me after, and he said, thank you. You have changed our family. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. So so this is about real people in real situations making uh, tough choices then for you and the relationships they, that they build and how they lean on one another. In exactly, yes. And would you say that's, um, and I have not seen uh, all of your work, but would you say that's a thread for you? No, every film is different. Is it? Yeah. Oh, Yes, from Woody Allen, Wild Man Blues, Woody Allen and his jazz tour and his relationship with SUNY, from older films that I've done, Harlan County, USA, which was a film about coal miners in eastern Kentucky, Running from Crazy, uh, about suicide and mental illness, from the Hemingway family. I mean, every film, it's like starting for the first time, starting all over again, and there's no one way to do it you see who you're filming what the story is where you're going with it and go for it so, kid. so, so right <laughs> i love you and you talked you talked earlier about surprise so i guess that's connected to discovery and wonder and those types of things so in a sense then in doc filmmaking the story is is moment by moment frame by frame revealing you don't know what's around yeah. each corner yeah that's cool that's got to be whether pretty you exciting. get machine gunned and with semi-automatic carbines in Harlan County or as in the Hemingway film, somebody reveals something about sexual abuse that, you know, has never been said before. I mean, you just never know what's going to come out. And that's the magic of people. We keep things hidden. And then there's Mm. a time where we feel we just want to talk about it. Yeah, the magic of people. we 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 are complex uh, paradoxical souls, eh? It's so fascinating. It's really interesting to see in the film the Iranian uh, women, uh, woman in particular, uh, Faza, Faza, is that how you yes. pronounce her name? Yes. yes. Uh, and how I thought it was really interesting that you left in that piece about how she was also well respected as a security guard and the spies nest, I believe. The spies nest, the spies exactly. Nest, yeah, and which how, was the American embassy. She right. She called it the spies which nest. Is fantastic. Yes. But and how sh- women how women were treated exactly the same as men. They had the same duties. They guarded the hostages and they were in it. And most people would think it was all male students, but there were definitely a lot of women. Pretty, pretty interesting comment. It's something so I would think certainly raises some questions about what's going on culturally there and, uh, and, and even now um, uh, and, and with respect to gender disparity and so on. I was quite surprised that well, they were seen as sort of equivalents. Right. That's also why I used um, two wonderful women for the film crew um, in Iran. And they, you know, usually... Women are not as well respected, right? 
and they got everything. They were just amazing and relentless and just really incredible human beings. They, they, it sounds like they, they, uh, they knew how to make it happen. They did. On a well, lot of levels. Well, they went to the Revolutionary Guard. The Revolutionary Guard told them the people that they could interview. Um, I don't think they looked at the questions. Uh, and Which is probably good. Well, you either use them or you don't. Right. It depends who the people are and where yeah. the interview is going. And you, So it sounds like to me you would have just worked with whatever you got. Like if they had to come back and said, oh, you can't ask these seven questions, you would have figured out a way oh, in the moment. we just said these are just guidelines right, got for it. What, what we want. Was it harder to shoot than you thought it was going to be with respect to the, the political side, that sort of military police-like side, that sort of idea that we have of what... You mean the uh, American side or the Iranian well, side? Well, yeah, the Iranian side. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, it's good. No, they vetted us. Yeah, the Revolutionary Guards vetted me and you know the films that i've done and somehow we passed and we were able to do it have you ever had that kind of pushback where you've been shut down uh not very much not, <laughs> not that i recall not that you recall because i always try to think of another way around right. it another door into it right. i can't leave it alone i mean to film jimmy carter it took me three months to be able to film him just to find the time kind of a thing or no um he he's you know going to be 94 october 1st he goes in once a month to the carter center a lot of people want to talk to him of course this is certainly not his favorite subject um to talk about and has not talked about it in a very long time and it was just through persistence and uh, a friend of mine named Bernie Aronson uh, was Mondale's speechwriter, so I had him help me. Uh, Jerry Rashoon, who's in the film, was the campaign manager for Jimmy Carter, so I had, had him help me. And then there was this guy that everyone kept telling me, okay, well, you have to talk to Phil Wise, and he runs the Carter Center. So I would call, and he would never call me back. <laughs> so I had a relationship with his voicemail. You know, I would. He would say, "Hi, howdy. This is Phil Wise, and I just am not here. I'll call you back." And he didn't for months. And so I would say, "Hey, it's Barbara, and the film's going really well, and this is what we wanted to." And I would just it's have amazing. a relationship so by good. leaving him voicemails. And finally, the lucky day came, and he said, "Okay, you can come. So it's." Cool. February 14th, which of course is Valentine's Day. So I got the best chocolates that I could find for President Carter. And I got the First Lady a heart. I was in South Sudan and the women were beading. And it was a red heart made out of beads mm. for her as a gift. Nice. They told me I had 19, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. They gave me 19 minutes and 47 seconds. And if I gave him the chocolates, that would take away from my time. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had them delivered before by his associate. Very nice. Yes. Yeah, good call. And the first lady wrote me a beautiful letter. Oh, that's wonderful. Saying, thank you so much. I love this. And it was so nice of you to think about me. And 
President Carter started by saying, thanks for the chocolates. I love chocolates. Oh, that's really, oh, that's, that's a note to all documentary film, uh, d- documentarians <laughs> out there, right? There's, there's something you need to make a note of. Get the right gifts and don't give them on camera. Right. You've just lost 90 seconds of your interview. If you're filming the president so, in the United States. So are you telling me the morsels that you got from President Carter you got in 20 minutes? That I see in nineteen the minutes and forty seven seconds. <laughs> Just to be precise, Not yeah, that's remarkable. That's so. That's a testament. So, so how do you come up with those questions? Is it all in the moment, or did well, you have I'm, half a dozen there before no, you walked in? No, I did, but yeah. I knew what I wanted to get, and so wow, I persisted on getting it. Was there anything you didn't want to answer? No. Yeah. He, and, well, one thing, yes, but. I worked on him, and he nice. answered it, and it happened to be one of the most poignant mm. pieces. It was the piece about um, that he was really heartbroken when his father died, and his father right. died when he was really young, and he had hoped that he would never have to go through that again. But when he heard about what happened, um, he felt the same way, and it just tore him apart so it's a real and that was hard and he had tears in his eyes how do you how do you build that kind of relationship i mean there's no relationship there you have this idea of who this man is you step in you've sent a gift or two so clearly you've broken some ice well i how think d- you just yeah it's fascinating let the president know president carter know how much this means to mm. you and letting people know what his feelings are and how he felt and what he was going through during this period because this was the hardest period yeah. he had ever gone through in his life. He had never been, you know, associated with this kind of tragedy. And so... Do you, do you, do you, is there something you can talk to me about building that level of trust so I quickly? I think it's just being real being and real, being yeah. earnest and... right. Not backing off. Not backing off. And uh, and just letting him know that this is being done out of love and really knowing, right. wanting to know how he felt and what he went through. Would he, would he have known anything about the three months of phone calls that you made? The, the, I yeah. don't know that. <laughs> I have. Oh, it oh, doesn't matter. Jimmy, I would have Jimmy, waited. Jimmy, you're going to have to give this woman some of your real time. Yeah, she's <laughs> been very persistent. No, yeah. I'm sure they could <laughs> no, care pro- less. Probably no. not. Um, so, so uh, I hope, I hope you have some time for a few more questions. I'd love I'd so much to talk about. And, and it's the kind of film where you're just sort of barely scratching the surface. It seems to me when you're having a conversation about it, but, but, um, the morsels that you have in this film, or at least that's what I'm going to call them. The, 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 the case of beer story with the, 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 the message. I mean, that's kind of gold to a storyteller. Do you, do you do that research yourself? Do you have people working with you? I mean, how do you come up with stuff like that? That's just well, beautiful. We didn't come up with that. Um, Gidry, Roland Gidry, told that story. Just and to him, it was one of the most important stories ever to tell. That, you know, he had that and he always feels that they had the guts to try and for somebody else to recognize that was so important to him. And he also broke down to mm. when three of the men were buried in a common grave and he said the saddest thing you're ever going to see is, you know, three widows crying over one casket with three men buried in the same casket. 
So they wanted to tell these stories. They've been bottled up for years, and this was very important to them. Did you see any signs of, um, um, I don't know, P PTSD, trauma? You know, just as you said that, and because that has been a bit of a theme for me, I think this is my, believe it or not, 23rd interview of this festival. And, and trauma-like uh, implications have come up in a few conversations I've had with documentarians, but also narrative filmmakers as well. I, I don't know, because... You know, I spent with some of them three hours or four hours, and it's hard to tell unless you spend a lot of time. Sure, sure. So, but not nobody. Nobody really spoke about it. It didn't. It didn't really come up. In no, a sense. people. You know, the hostage who was the one hostage that was able to come because one of their other buddies had died and the memorial was on September 7th so they couldn't make it for September 8th um, really talked about that the heroes were the people that tried to get them out mm. and that they were in there by circumstance and the other guys I guess they have each other to lean on and these are friendships that they've had all their lives I mean I think men who served in World War II or Vietnam or the Korean War, all these terrible wars, mm -hmm. they build up this kind of solidarity with each other, and some of them just are unable to function when they came back. But this was, you know, a quick kind of thing. Many of them had been in Vietnam with each other, so really knew each other, and some of them never knew each other, I never met each other. I thought it was fascinating that you chose to leave in that line by the uh, the leader of the team, or, or the guy who created Delta Force, I believe. The line Beckwith. about the, about the yeah Beckwith, the, the line about the North Vietnamese soldiers. I know Very it was so it's great. fantastic. It it's was so good. I loved every minute of it, and I love that we found it, yeah. and I love that Bucky Burroughs commented on it. Yeah. Do you? Um, we'll wrap it up here in a couple minutes, Barbara, or less. Um, and and uh, always sad to do that uh, in the middle of a conversation like this, but. Are those decisions, would you say, I mean, obviously that's a discovery along the way, but are there moments while you're filming you go, this will be in the film for sure because I know sort of now how it's happening? Or is it all editing room? Is it all kind of no, post-shooting? Yeah, you just never know mm. where the film is going to lead you. And so good. you really don't want to make those kinds of, you know, proclamations because you want to see what kind of film you're making. Who are these people? Where are they taking you? What corner are you going around? So, no, never. I interviewed uh, Alan Zewig um, for his film Coppers this year, which is about uh, first responders and mostly about policemen and women who, who have retired, who've suffered PTSD, trauma-like uh, implications, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some really gritty stuff. And in the interview, I think he was the first interview this year for me at TIFF. And, and he said, you know what, David, I don't know what my film's about. And what he was saying, and I think it may be connected to your comment about the magic of people, which I so love, because what he was sort of saying is, I need to wait to see how people respond, how people react. Would you, would you agree with that? Like, oh, would, I totally yeah. would agree with that. Um, I think all the research that you do and all the thinking about it that you do you just have to throw it all out when you're there because mm. you're dealing with people who know so much more than you ever could and you can't possibly try to you know get into their mind if right. you have 
preconceived ideas of what they should be talking about. Right, right. I never like to have a preconceived idea. I want them to take me on a ride. Um, You seem really hopeful still to me. Would you would you call yourself hopeful? Have you become more of a cynic as a documentarian over the years? You, I mean, if you're talking about the magic of people and discovery and so on, this is amazing. It's oh, I'm definitely not a cynic. I love what I do. I'm excited by it. I love people. I have all the hope in the world in people and hopefully in myself. Oh, that's amazing. We we've been talking uh, about a new documentary at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, called Desert One. You're going to have to get out and see it uh, soon. Coming to a theater near you, Barbara. Is we're we're negotiating. You're working on it. You're working, <laughs> yeah, on, it. We're working hey, how, on it. Hey, how how I know you've got another showing today. How how have the Q and A's been? Um, really fun. Yeah, really yeah, good. fun, interesting. Yes. The first one, uh, Tom Powers was nice enough to let us go for thirty minutes. Oh wow, that's well, fantastic. we had we had so many people here. Yeah, that's amazing that you had the freedom to do that. Usually, you're getting ushered out into another. Well, I t- spoke to him before, and I said these guys are coming from all over the country. Good for you. Yeah. You can't just make it fifteen <laughs> minutes. And I said, and every filmmaker uh, who worked on it, even for a week is coming yeah so they all need to be heard so a a real community event by the south oh that's amazing 30 well good for you for pushing tom i actually well it was easy yeah it was easy he understood he totally would get something yeah that's awesome well thanks so much for your time today the film's desert one barbara koppel here today at the toronto international film festival thanks really appreciate your time today Barbara. thank you and your wonderful interviewer and fun to talk to and so conversational oh that's awesome thanks barbara Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.